a universe charged with the grandeur of God. That title for Christian theism is credited to James Sire, and it serves as a great final analysis of worldviews to conclude this study that we've been doing over the last previous episodes on culturology. We're going to make a defense of Christian theism and really try to get at what a worldview is and why Christian theism, a universe charged with the grandeur of God, is the only option that does justice to reality. What is a worldview? Are worldviews universal in scope, or are they reserved for academic and philosophical discussions? Although questions like these are not regularly asked by the average person, the implications embedded in each question are well worth considering. But perhaps a simple answer to these questions will allow the reader to consider why these questions become vital in the final analysis. James Sire suggests that worldviews are more than ideas of philosophy, theology, and daily practices. Yet at the same time, worldviews are certainly not less than the sum of those things. He positions a worldview as referring to a universe fashioned by words and concepts that work together to provide a more or less coherent frame of reference for all thought and action. This is the working definition of worldview that will continue throughout the length of this analysis. And if this definition of worldview is a proper one, it becomes clear that worldviews are universal. The question then changes from, do I have a worldview, to what is my worldview? Far beyond the litmus test of what someone believes about life and death, notice that Sire's definition of worldview extends to how someone understands their day-to-day life, the meaning of their words, and the standard by which all contemplation and action is measured. In this way, worldview is not only universal in scope, it is also exhaustive in reference and applicability. Not only is it manifest that no one can escape the universality of worldview, but also that no thought or action in the life of a person happens in isolation of a worldview. As such, worldview must be investigated and defined. Continuing in James Sire's flow of thought in his book, The Universe Next Door, the main worldview's expressions seen throughout the course of human history are compared and contrasted, including one such worldview called Christian theism. Sires so eloquently defines Christian theism as a universe charged with the grandeur of God. This is my own worldview, and I find it to be a fully encompassed worldview, quite unique among other options. Christian theism answers the basic questions of prime reality, external reality, humanity, death, knowledge, morality, history, and the core commitments necessary to live in response all the necessary components of worldview categorization. Christian theism alone is a Godward enterprise, positing a universe that's charged with the grandeur of God. And this enterprise sets Christian theism apart from other worldviews and answers the question of prime reality in a unique way when compared to others. It is this consideration of prime reality which will drive my interaction with Christian theism. But before 
treading any further to define Christian theism, it is important to note a very important qualifier in terms of the language of God being used. God in the abstract is a useless term. That is to say, without context or qualifiers, any working definition could be inserted into the mind of the reader or writer or listener to designate what this concept of God means. What's more, to state solely that the universe is charged with the grandeur of God is to make room for any theistic worldview that uses the term God. As such, it is important to stress that the term God, which is used in Christian theism, speaks to the really real, as James Cyrus puts it, who is defined as an omnipotent, self-existent God. This definition of God is sharply contrasted with the God of deism, who is transcendent but not imminent the God of Islam, who is one in persons, or the God of Eastern pantheistic monism, who or which is one with creation. Rather, the God I speak of is self-existent, totally sovereign, and the one in whom we all live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28. The ability to articulate the kind of God that sufficiently describes the really real is the primary task of establishing the foundation of my worldview. Having made this important caveat and qualification to use my term, God, what follows is a brief outline of my worldview defined as Christian theism. Christian theism uniquely presents a God who is a transcendent, self-existing creator, who reveals himself to his creation both naturally in the world and especially in his written condescension, the Bible. In Christian theism's account of creation, God demonstrates a logical and orderly flow to his created world, a layering of correlation present between each species and element, i.e. fish correlate to sea, land correlate to mankind and creatures, etc., etc. And a fully encompassed charge given to his creation, see Genesis 1 and 2. Mankind is told how he relates to the rest of the created order and what his task is in relation to this transcendent God. In other words, God himself is the fountainhead and source of truth, knowledge, meaning, and purpose, such that, as Cyrus says, Christian theism holds that everything stems from him. Christian theism certainly promotes a universe charged with the grandeur of God, and nothing lies outside of this proclamation. See Psalm 19. By way of negation, this claim eliminates the need to think of God as an aspect of being or a mere characteristic of life. Man's relationship to God is not a component of life. God's grandeur is the basis and qualifier of life, since all things come from Him. Colossians 1.17 In a positive sense, Christian theism's view of God as primarily establishes the logical flow of Christian theism its viability as a comprehensive worldview, and its adequacy to answer the eight basic questions that are posed by Sire. In 2011, R.C. Sproul wrote a book entitled, When Worlds Collide. The premise of the book sought to define how to understand the contrast between the worldview of Christians in America and that of the Islamic extremists responsible for the terrorist attacks in America on September 11, 2001. With that in mind, I will now suggest what to do when worlds collide by defining three common reactions 
even offer the best option to help us better understand our own worldview and react appropriately when we encounter opposition, even if it's not in the extreme and violent sense. When engaging different worldviews, people either, one, propose, two, oppose, or three, juxtapose. These three reactions are how people deal with differing worldviews of God. It is my persuasion that the third reaction is to be sought after, even though it is the least frequent course of action on display in the world. What follows are the basic characteristics of these three reactions. To propose a worldview of God is to elevate one's worldview of God at the expense of opposing views. This is likened to the person who plugs their ears when hearing something they do not like and screaming at the top of their lungs to drown out the noise. In the political world, this can be seen in the choice of news outlets. Affirmed worldviews are elevated by choosing to participate solely with select news networks. While this is an innocent element of choice by most, this same posture is taken by people in the public square. They are not interested in hearing differing worldviews of God, only in proposing their own. Secondly, to oppose a worldview of God is to take the antagonistic approach. Once again, the political landscape illustrates this position. In presidential debates, individuals spend much more time attacking their opponent's views than they do at articulating their own. Listeners come away only knowing what not to like about their nemesis, but anything substantial to praise of their candidate remains ambiguous. Thirdly, to juxtapose a worldview of God is to properly balance the two extremes listed above and summarily evangelize in a compelling way. This approach involves a responsible articulation of one's view of God, a correct understanding of the opposing view, and a desire to engage in peaceful discourse regarding the differences in a way that promotes theological, ethical, and political development. It can be clear that this approach has implications for individuals, families, companies, and even government agencies. The book of Acts depicts Paul's evangelism enterprise in Athens. In this passage, the, ju the juxtapose option is displayed in a compelling manner. During his time in Athens, he engages with philosophers, articulates his worldview of God, juxtaposes their view against his own, and proclaims his biblical worldview of God in a gospel message, which produces fruit. See Acts 17, verses 17 through 34. At a base level, sharing our worldview, in this case Christian theism, is being able to articulate our worldview compellingly. This does not mean that the conversion of our audience is dictated by whether or not we have done our job well. Instead, it means that we are able to paint Christian theism against the backdrop of whatever worldview is being considered in opposition to Christian theism. This does not require us to be experts in every worldview, but it does necessitate that we understand correctly whatever we know about other worldviews. However, this only answers the question in part. To answer the question more comprehensively, it's best to also ask how Christian theists can advance God's kingdom by being faithful to their worldview and laboring to the benefit of others. This represents a very complex exclusivity and inclusivity dynamic. Perhaps it is too weighty to suggest that one can be consistent with the exclusivity of their worldview while also being inclusive to their neighbors. 
With that as an initial thought, here is what I propose as the best way to effectively spread the gospel of God's kingdom. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians regarding the gospel, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians 4.2, English Standard Version. In other words, Paul was concerned of being too careless in making God's kingdom attractive to the world. Doing so would result in ruining the message. According to scripture, Christian theists must reckon with the fine line between exclusivity and inclusivity. If Christian theists are too broad in their hunger to attract and benefit people by bringing their worldview downward, there will be no exclusive message left. This, of course, would be to hurt the world, not to benefit the world, since God's kingdom is good news of salvation. For the Apostle Paul, he was incredibly concerned of the clarity and purity of his message. He labored at great lengths to give an exclusive message, but trusted that the nature of the exclusivity of the message itself was the good news of inclusion. While this is not a theological analysis of all the dynamics of the gospel message of Christianity, it is important to stress that there is somewhat of a paradox in Christian theism, that the message is only inclusive and beneficial to the world if it remains purely as an exclusive truth claim of God's grandeur in all things, chiefly in the salvation of mankind. Christian theism is logical and sufficient in all its parts, and it must be shared to the world faithfully. When it is, there would be nothing left to attach or take away from it as a worldview. This is the challenge of all Christian theists in a universe of worldview collision. Yet Christian theism is a worldview that stresses a majestic God who brings the increase to his kingdom, Matthew 16, 18. Christian theists can rest assured that their responsibility is to present a pure message and trust in the Spirit to bring about the benefit of the message to a world in need.